From KIOS in Omaha, you're listening to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock, and today I'm talking with attorney Wes Dodge about rethinking our election processes. You know, a lot of people argue that it's difficult, which just to me is is kind of wild. I've testified several times in front of our state legislature and uh, in the committees trying to get this to go to the floor. And, you know, two or three other senators will say, uh, you know, isn't this complicated? And it's like, you know, can you can you rank three things from one to three? I mean, I think your constituents are that smart. I think we can pull this off. Dodge discusses the flaws in our electoral system stemming from dark money and how he sees a path to more effective democracy through ranked choice voting. Stay tuned for the conversation after this break. We have a lot of hours of content here on Riverside Chats now. Our backlog has over 100 episodes. We're expanding into live events. And we have an exciting future for the show that we hope to be able to get to you. To make the show as good as it can be and to continue to give you the kinds of conversations that you listen for, the reason why you subscribed in the first place, to hear coverage of arts, ideas, politics, whatever it is that brings you here every time, please consider becoming a supporter of the show by making a sustaining monthly donation of $1, $5, whatever you can afford, and really whatever you think the show is worth, which maybe is zero. In which case, ouch, but okay. If you are interested in becoming a supporter, please look in the podcast notes. There should be a link in there that you can find that gives you all the information you need. Otherwise, thank you for considering supporting the show, and more, more importantly, thank you for listening. Welcome to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. Join us Saturday, September 24th at Benson Theater for a live recording of the show with my guest, legendary musician and founder of Mannheim Steamroller, Chip Davis. We'll talk about his subversive approach to the music industry and how he's helped build spaces for Omaha culture to flourish. Riverside Chats live September 24th at Benson Theater. For more, visit kos.org or bensontheater.org. If I had to make a guess about most listeners of this episode, it'd be that you probably don't think America's democratic system is 100% perfect. If you're in that boat, my guest today, attorney Wes Dodge, agrees. Dodge is on the boards for Rank the Vote Nebraska, Common Cause Nebraska, Represent Us Omaha, and Nonpartisan Nebraska. He sees the possibility of meaningful reforms through adopting ranked choice elections and moving toward a nonpartisan vision of governance. Today we talk about what ranked choice voting would look like, as well as how polarization is largely rooted in moneyed interests obscuring what voters want and keeping the focus on culture war noise. Here is our conversation. So I think there's this kind of an interesting phenomenon where people are pretty comfortable criticizing our elections and political institutions, but a lot of people are a little bit more hesitant to rethink some of the processes that we have and some of the institutions that we have. It's, it's ingrained in people uh, and in the culture from when they're young that our system is the best and that it was delivered by these sort of godlike founding fathers. We mythologize it all, right? And so I imagine for you, in your various uh, organizations, you've had to deal with the scope of what people can conceive of changing. Has that been difficult at all? Or is it easy to pitch some of the, your ideas? I'd say generally it's difficult, and um, what we try to focus on is honestly just trying to be more democratic. I don't know how well you know John McAllister, uh, the the senator, but uh, the state state legislator, uh, his uh, saying about anything you look at is, "Is it more democratic? Does it improve democracy?" And that I like that that cut line is, uh, you know, let's take a look at this. Uh, there's also all those great quotes about democracy as uh, something that's that's current current. It's always evolving. It's always developing. Hopefully, it's always improving. And uh, you know, when the uh, the people in power kind of uh, push the the barriers, I think it's a responsibility of you know it's it's our government. You know, we the people. And uh, I think it's our responsibility to figure out what's going on and make sure those barriers stay intact. So, except for probably more nerdy people like you and I that are into this kind of thing. It is hard to make that uh, something real for people. It doesn't matter which side of the abortion issue you're on. I think people really saw that uh, their votes matter in the last couple of months. And, uh, you know, I could go on a little narrative here, but it's one of the things that frustrates me about the way people look at it in general is 
Uh, you look at the uh, more conservative side of, of things, and they do a good job of having a narrative and pursuing it. And, and uh, even though they may might not get along or they may have slightly different views, they manage to push whatever it is they're trying to push through. And the, uh, the left seems to fight amongst themselves and kind of destroy things. I, I don't know how many people I saw interviewed um, that were frustrated with the way the Democratic primary system went and the way that Hillary was ultimately chosen that said, I'm going to sit this one out. You know, I'm mad, so I'm not going to vote. And the result, I think, is maybe what they've seen in the last couple of months. I think you always have to vote, even if you have to hold your nose when you're voting. You need to vote if you want whatever's closest to your point of view to be uh, out there and, and in, in power. Why do you think it is that Republicans are better about organizing around messaging than Democrats? Have you uh, ever uh, read any of the, I think his name's Haidt, H-A-I-G-H-T. Jonathan Haidt, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's that. Uh, and to explain to people who are listening, it's I, I think our minds are different. People who are more uh, on the right uh, probably have a more binary type of mind. Uh, you know, it's right or it's wrong or it's good or it's bad. Uh, if you look at that, there's the columns or the pillars they talk about of, of uh, uh, I guess, morality and the way your mind works. They're, uh, they're, they're more into a, a structured, regimented, controlled type of thing where uh, the, the left is, you know, a little more loose with that kind of thing. And I just think that's part of the, uh, I think that's part of it. I think it's, I think it's a sociological thing to some degree. So you, you don't attribute to the parties and sort of just the organization of grassroots, uh, whether it's campaigns or sort of like the money behind parties in some sense, uh, leading to that sort of cohesive cohesion. It's, it's like, <laughs> it, to me, it's a question of like, how uh, cynical do we attribute some of the messaging to be? Like, is, is it a bunch of people who say like, if you view politics as it's a lot of people saying, here's what I think is best for the nation. And it's as simple as that. I think we'd like it to be that way. But sometimes I think that's a little bit romanticized. Right. Yeah. I, I think there's a, a man behind the curtain thing going on all the time. Uh, and, and I guess you're, you're reaching towards the dark money kind of thing and the messaging type of thing. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, I, I, I really do think that goes on. Um, sometimes it gets confusing because those people actually take different positions um, on on similar issues because it's just advantageous for them to get whoever they want to get elected elected. Uh, I can't remember uh, the last primary. I can't remember which state it was, but uh, the Democrats were actually putting money into uh, supporting the most conservative, kind of most out there uh, candidate so that they'd win because that's an easier person for them to beat. Um, when you really dig down into the dark money things, you, you find out that, uh, uh, like in Wisconsin, there's some, some people of substance who have had a lot of control over who's on the Supreme Court in Wisconsin uh, because they throw a ton of money at it. Here in Nebraska, uh, I, as, a, as a member of Common Cause, I've been able to talk to some people that know a lot and have found out a lot. And... Uh, you know, our big money people in the state not only put money into our politicians here, but they do it, you know, in surrounding states and in, in other areas of government. And they do it, you know, through PACs, you know, the, you know, the, the make, a, make America Good and Happy PAC or something that's got a ridiculous name but has nefarious uh, intentions. Well, yeah. So, I mean, that, that's usually... Uh when we get into dark money and just money in politics in general, you sort of uh, are looking at kind of a different sort of constituency and a different sort of motivation for politicians beyond just, here's what people in my district would like to see happen. Uh, and it does seem to be organized. And people like Jane Mayer, uh, Kurt Anderson's book, Evil Geniuses, I thought was a great distillation of a lot of these ideas. Uh, so maybe we could actually just go back and talk about money and politics in general and contextualize what's new has there been a lot of this kind of corruption since the beginning of the political system? Is it getting worse? Is it better? I, I always struggle. Like, was it actually worse 100 years ago? I have no idea how to actually tell that, really, because it's all it's filtered through so many historians and narratives and so on and so forth. So let's just talk money and politics. How does it work? I don't profess to be an expert on this. I, I have, uh, you know, I'm a mile wide and an inch deep to some degree. But uh, 
it seems like more recently, yes, it's more influential. Historically, I would say that you can't say it always hasn't been important. I mean, when you reach way back to our revolutionary period, it was, it was still people of means and substance and landowners that had the power. And uh, even your average Joe couldn't vote, but they can now. So I guess there's two different ways to look at that. The power was there, but uh, I, I should say your average white Joe that owned a plot of land could <laughs> yeah. vote uh, back then. But uh, and, and then nowadays, I think it's more manipulation. I, I think we just get bombarded with the media and and we just you, you hear the talking points and oftentimes they're even wrong there. You can look them up, you can Google them and you can you can find out they're wrong. But people don't do that. So I get annoyed because we're a little lazy that way. And this isn't a dark money thing, but have you ever read uh, The Words We Live By? No, I haven't. It, it's a great book that just analyzes all our, our, our historical documents. And what it says within it is we were really one of the most well-read, best-educated groups of people at the, at the time of the revolution of anywhere in, the, in the, the world. There was just a ton of newspapers. Now, they were doing what we're doing now, which they were, they were kind of wild in, in, in the allegations they made and things like that. There's a, you know, pieces of that in, in Hamilton, the musical uh, with Jefferson and, and Hamilton and Burr. And, but um, we were very well read and we were very educated. And now... We're, we're still kind of that way, but I think we're getting into our segregated, uh, you know, we're happy in our bubble, we're happy in our silo, and we don't want to reach out and learn other things. And I think that makes it easier for dark money people to try to keep us in those, those areas, and, and division makes money. And uh, uh, now I'm diverting a little bit away from what you're saying, what your question was here, but uh, I, I had read something the other day where it's like, you really need to think what, what is my representative really thinking about when they're doing their job? Are they worried about uh, what the party thinks? Are they worried about uh, what the, the big money donors think? Or are they worried about what I think as the person they represent? And what order should that be in in a healthy democracy? And I think the answer in a healthy democracy would be what do you and I think I'm assuming you're not a, a rich person poor on I'm, money. I'm on public radio, so okay. no, I'm not that rich. <laughs> and and I, I, I don't think that's the answer. You know what I mean? I, I think they, they do the dance and they try to keep us happy so they can get elected and the money continues to come. You know, So uh, I was uh, able to talk to somebody that uh, was related to somebody who was elected that the, the Koch brothers would not have supported, but the day after they were elected – he got a check from them. And uh, so I guess the message was, hey, you know, we're looking at you. We know what's going on. Uh, you know, keep that in mind when you, you decide what you're doing legislatively. If you're just joining us, I'm talking today with Wes Dodge about what reforming our election process through ranked choice voting might look like. What do you think? Would you be interested in changing the way that we vote for candidates? Join the conversation on social media or call in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089, which we may play on an upcoming show. So if anyone hasn't delved into this, maybe isn't familiar with Dark Money or Charles Koch, what's like a brief introduction to who they were and what their operation was? <laughs> uh, there's another book. I wish I could remember authors' names, but there's another book out there called Dark Money that kind of doesn't... That's Jane Mayer, I think. Yeah. I think she does a really good illustration in that book of uh, some sort of really bad incident that happened, I think, in Texas where a refinery or some sort of energy processing uh, uh, facility blew up and it hurt a lot of people. And uh, they were able to use their money to kind of tamp that down as far as what the legislation was. They paid off the people that were hurt and, and kind of made it uh, not harmful to them. I think through that kind of behavior, they found out they could give money to various uh, elected officials and the laws would still protect them in a way uh, that allowed them to continue to make more money, lowered the tax uh, burdens on them and that kind of thing. And I think they sell it to the common man as we're trying to keep government out of your pockets and off your back. But in reality, it helps them more. And as long as they can keep people thinking that they're working for you, it, it benefits them. Yeah, it seems like they were able to distill messaging in a very successful way or partner with people who do that to sort of 
get people looking at issues that aren't necessarily what their actual goals are, right? So go back to our original point, which was that Republicans seem to be a little bit better at organizing messaging. Do you attribute that uh, to sort of the rise of people like the Koch brothers and how they are able to use their money and influence in some of the media, uh, the right-wing media operation of like talk radio or Fox News or any of those? I would like to say yes to that, but I, I just I think it goes back to the psychology. And maybe I'm different than other people, but uh, I mean, it's you can you can train a group of dogs to put on a show and do what you want them to do, and they do it, and it's entertaining. But you've never seen that kind of show with cats. You know what I mean? I, I think people are different. The psychology is different. I think we tend to fall into groups, and some of those groups are easier to coordinate than than other groups. Going back to my my statement about the Bernie uh, Hillary uh, fights in the in the Democratic primary, that's probably more like cats. You know, the, the, the cats that were upset said, I ain't voting this time. I'm not cooperating in your process. But the Republicans were still coordinated. So I may be wrong, but I think it's a psychology thing, you know. It's come up a lot on the show recently how entertainment and sort of our addiction to entertainment uh, seems to be maybe a bigger impediment than our ability to actually like talk about issues. Um, so like I've had Ross Benish on a couple of times and he's talked about he says basically the way that we seem to uh, treat politics is closer to being a regular viewer of professional wrestling than, you know, like the idealized uh, democratic citizen. And, you know, he's, he's name-dropped uh, Neil Postman's book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, which is absolutely about this. And he writes in there, he's talking about the difference between 1984 and Brave New World. He says, Orwell warned that we will be overcome by an externally imposed oppression, but in Huxley's vision, Big Brother is not required to deprive people of their autonomy, maturity, and history. And as he saw it, people come to love their oppression, to adore the technologies that undo their capacity to think. Uh, whereas Orwell feared that people would ban books, Huxley feared that nobody would want to read one. And I think that there's something there that that maybe is one of the biggest hurdles, especially when we talk about what are real reforms, is how can you get people to not just want to be entertained uh, in the way that they consume information? Like, how do we how do we actually I mean, is, is the answer we make entertainment more informational or is there a way to address that? I mean, you've been doing sort of this reform of democracy. Have you had to overcome the problem with entertainment? Yeah, and, and what we do with the, the different groups is we do – you have to hit the hot-button issues, which gets us to our uh, – I wish I could come up with my psychological terms. Our, our lizard brain, our is it the the uh, the frontal lobe, the prefrontal cortex versus the uh, the deep thinking uh, portion of your brain, and we are stimulated by that reactive. Let's let's uh, that's that's exciting. There's the uh, the flashy thing. You know, there's a, a sports guy that. You know, it's kind of, I don't know if it's a NPR type of thing, but it's, uh, they say, date the stripper, don't marry the stripper. And that's that's the kind of thing. People are intrigued by that. They're excited uh, by what they see, but they don't think deeper. You know, I convinced my, my wife that I've been married to for over 25 years that boring is pretty good. You know, it's, uh, you know, your husband's going to be home at a certain time. You that's know. the NPR thing. Boring <laughs> is good, never mind. <laughs> yeah, we're going to cook it. We're going to cook a meal. We're going to hang out, watch some TV, you know, maybe we'll go out and listen to some music somewhere, but, uh, you know, you, you won't come home and there won't be glasses being thrown against the wall saying, where were you? And that kind of thing. But that's, that's the Jerry Springer thing. That's what people want to watch on TV. And, uh, uh, the people in NPR are probably the deeper thinkers, the ones that, that go deeper. And I, I appreciate that. I, I think you just have to convince people that, you have to find a way to get to them through that prefrontal cortex and say, let's figure out how to open the door that way and tell them they need to think deep, deeper. You want your you want your legislator to be a little boring. You know, have you ever um, I'm sure you have you ever listened to a speech by uh, uh, Dwight Eisenhower? Yeah, sure. Do you think those are exciting? Not especially. No. <laughs> they're they're really they're really uh, the, the, yeah, the, 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 the context is fantastic if you read it, but it's not it's not Barack Obama and it's, you know, it's not Kennedy. Uh, and, you know, both of those guys were kind of a 
a nice, you know, Reagan was a good communicator too. You know, they could put policy together with, with a good delivery, but honestly, the, the policy and what we get done should be more important than the delivery. And we've gotten to the point, which is the, the book you're referring to, you know, it's about the circus. It's not about the, it's not about the library, you know, and we really do need to, to get back to that. And you're asking me how to do that. I think it's just we have these organizations that, that go out all the time and try to educate people on this stuff. Um, today, it's Tuesday. Uh, Alaska's doing their election. Uh, you know, Liz Cheney is up in, in Wyoming. Alaska's using ranked choice voting. That might be a way to make things more exciting because it's it's kind of competitive. You know, it's like we're going to, you know, who, where are these people rated? Who's going to come in in the top four, top five, that kind of thing. Uh, it makes it more competitive. Uh, I think it's in Scotland. They've been using ranked choice voting for like over 100 years, and they turn it into the NCAA tournament. They they literally have the first round on TV, and it's like, is somebody going to get to 50%? And if they don't, then the next day they come back on again, and they move all the lowest place votes. You know, the person who got the least amount of votes, they start redistributing those votes to the, to the other people, and people are waiting to see who's going to get to that 50% plus one, and it becomes exciting. So maybe that's a way to do it, you know, that, that kind of thing. But that also is a consensus type of, of way of uh, electing people. You know, here in Nebraska... Um, I don't know the numbers exactly. I don't have them with me, but Ricketts got through the primary the first time he ran with somewhere between like 25 and 30 percent of the vote. And then whoever wins the Republican primary is going to to win overall. Uh, Lindstrom and, and Pillen and Herbster. Did anyone get over 30 percent? It was pretty close. I don't remember it, it, it was, it was my head, but. yeah, it was real tight, but we didn't we didn't have a consensus. Uh, 50 some percent winner so it'd even be nice in the primaries if you used ranked choice you know uh, uh, I saw Lindstrom speak and it went at, at the place I saw him speaking he said that uh, uh, he's not first place in a lot of the people's choices but he's second in everybody's so it's very possible he would have been the candidate under a ranked choice system and, and maybe had more of a consensus amongst voters uh, ultimately but we'll see where that how that plays out so the philosophy behind it then is that ultimately like your original goal at the beginning of our conversation here it increases democratic engagement because people see results or they have a higher engagement in the results through the multiple uh, rounds i think it, i think it well that's as far as the lizard braid concept where you want to be entertained but as far as the practical concept after that process is done over 50% of the people that are being represented by these individuals have voted for that individual. You know, so you don't have as many, don't blame me, I voted for whoever on the back of the car anymore because whoever's there, over 50% of the people have voted for them. That's, that's an incentive for you to really look at it and, and feel like you have a dog in the fight. If you like the person who's fourth, you know, in, in the polling coming out, a lot of those people just don't show up or they vote and they feel like they've thrown it away. And uh, ranked choice voting allows that person to still make the vote of their conscience so that they believe, you know, is a person that best represents them and still know that if that person doesn't win, you're hoping it goes to a second round at least. Uh, and, and then your second vote counts and you still you don't feel like you've thrown your vote away. Then we can flip it and look at how the, uh, the person who's elected is affected by it. Um, they've got, they don't have to worry about their bases now if in this system. They don't have to just get the furthest right and the furthest left, and then they know they can win with 23% or 25% or 30%. They're going to have to find some way to, to win over more than that. And then when they, when they govern, they're going to have to keep that in mind too. I have to keep over 50% of the people happy because we're in a dogfight with everybody in the mix when it comes down to voting. I saw an interview on TV today, and it was discussing uh, Markowski up in uh, Alaska. She's in, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens to her tonight because uh, it, she may, may or may not get through. Uh, but they were in, they've got ranked choice voting. I don't know if you knew that or not. Alaska, Maine, and Hawaii now have it. Hawaii just adopted it about a week ago, eh, probably within the last two or three weeks. Um, but it, they were interviewing a Democrat and asking her what she thought about Markowski. And she was saying she's okay. She she thinks independently, like Alaskans. She you know I, I appreciate what she does. 
if that was not a ranked choice system, you don't necessarily hear the Democrat praising the Republican, you know, because they they have their eyes open to to who they have to appease going forward, which goes back to that. Who do we want our who do we want our uh, uh our people that we represent to be concerned with, do, or, or, or who do we want our uh, our legislators to be concerned with? Is it the money guy? Is it the is it the party, or is it the individual voter? And I think that ranked choice system pushes us more to that individual voter as opposed to the other two. So, are there instances, or is there a strategy for how to reduce big money's impact, even with uh, ranked choice voting? I understand that the candidates have to play a little bit of a different game. Mm-hmm. Money still dominates so much of who actually gets into the race, right? How, how does that impact it? Well, money, no doubt, impacts races. And right now we've got different states doing different things because that's kind of governed by the, the, the states as opposed to any sort of federal thing. Although if the For the People Act passed, there's some there's some limits in there. And uh, hopefully someday if if uh, well, honestly, if the Democrats take the House, that's got a chance of passing. And there's there's literally, you know, there's like a dozen things in there that over 50 over 60 percent of the population want that for some reason we can't pass pass. But let me double back then on the money thing. Um, in Alaska, when they passed the ranked choice voting legislation, they also had a $5,000 limit legislation as part of that uh, amendment that caused ranked choice voting to take place. So that said, uh, nobody can donate more than $5,000. And I think it also said you had to do immediate reporting uh, within like 24 hours. And, you know, don't hold me to the exactness of it, but it was, I talked to a guy from Alaska and he said that they were excited as equally excited about that as they were about ranked choice voting. Nebraska is one of the looser places on that. Uh, we all see it where there's right, when you're right up against the election, you get the big ad dump. You can't, you can't watch TV without watching all these political ads you can't open your mailbox without seeing these flyers that say uh, somebody's the devil and somebody's not and a lot of that is money that's dropped in in the last 30 days and the way our reporting system works here in nebraska and i'm getting a lot of this information from the common cause people they're good at tracking this you don't have to report it for a set period of time and so they make sure that they drop the money close enough to the election but not within a time period that it has to be reported. So the dark money people can come in, do a late drive-by, you know, do a hit on somebody to use some, you know, I guess rougher language on it and re- really mess up their chances of winning. And then nobody has to find out where that PAC was or, or where that organization was and who funded it. And, you know, I don't know how much you, you deal directly with names around here, but I mean, that's that's happened here big time. I mean, I think it was six or eight state legislators got hit that way, um, you know, a couple election cycles ago. And when they found out where the money came from later, you know, it was from the big money people in the state that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm treading lightly. I don't know. I don't know where I should go exactly. If you want to get into specifics, that's yeah, fine. Yeah. I mean, I, I, the... A lot of that is tracked back to some packs that the, the Ricketts put money into, you know, Joe Ricketts and, and uh, you know, just people associated with them. And, and, and there were people who voted against legislation that, that uh, Ricketts wanted passed that they vetoed. And a lot of those people got hit with these late drop dark money hits right before the election. And several of them lost, more than half of them lost. So I get kind of frustrated that people don't know what's going on, but that again is the nerdy, you know. Uh, That's why you're here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's the it's the civics law studies teacher. You know, uh, I have a history degree. You know, I'm just into that kind of stuff, but I don't want to lose it either. I'm really kind of worried about where we're headed, and that's why I'm motivated by this stuff. I'm talking with Wes Dodge about what it might look like for Nebraska to adopt a more nonpartisan approach to its elections through ranked choice voting. Let us know what you think. Follow Riverside Chats on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Stay tuned for the rest of the conversation after this break. We have an exciting announcement here at Riverside Chats, which is that we will be doing a live recording of an upcoming episode of this show at Benston Theater on September 24th, where you can see me on stage in conversation with the man himself from Mannheim Steamroller, Chip Davis. 
We'll be talking about his subversive approach to the music industry, the creation of Mannheim's Steamroller, and how he's helped build spaces like Benson Theater for Omaha culture to flourish. Following the conversation, there will be an opportunity for audience participation and questions. I don't know, maybe we will, like Mr. Chip Davis himself, sing some Christmas songs, but make them really loud and intense. I don't know what's going to happen. It has to happen live, and hopefully you'll be there with us. Check for tickets at BensonTheater.org. An evening with Chip Davis, our first live recorded Riverside Chats since the show premiered on public radio. See you September 24th. And welcome back to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. Check out the backlog of Riverside Chats episodes wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever your favorite app is. Today I'm talking with Wes Dodge, who's on the boards for Rank the Vote Nebraska, Common Cause Nebraska, Represent Us Omaha, and Nonpartisan Nebraska. We're talking about what ranked choice voting would look like compared to what we're used to and how polarization is largely rooted in muddied interests obscuring what voters want. Here is the rest of our conversation. So in places where they've adopted ranked choice voting, they're generally happy with it? Yes. Um, again, I don't know the exact numbers, but I think it was over 80% of the people in New York City, they've adopted it just on the city level there. When they were interviewing coming out, the over 80% said they were happy with it and they felt like their vote mattered more uh, and uh, they didn't think it was difficult you know, a lot of people argue that it's difficult, which just to me is is kind of wild. I've testified several times in front of our state legislature and uh, in the committees trying to get this to go to the floor. And, you know, two or three other senators will say, uh, you know, isn't this complicated? And it's like, you know, can you can you rank three things from one to three? I mean, I think your constituents are that smart. I think we can pull this off. And, you know, it still hasn't gotten out of committee. But but anyway, uh, getting back to that, uh, yes, it, it's popular everywhere. It's been used. It it when they when they ask people about it, 60, 70 percent consistently, and and a lot of them, it's eighty and ninety percent like it. They just have to get educated on it, and once they start doing it, they like it. So as far as pushback to something like this goes, I know we started this with the idea that uh, the McAllister, McAllister line, is it good for democracy? I think kind of like some of our romanticized history of the U.S., there's also this romanticized idea that everybody in the U.S. is inherently pro-democracy and wants a total universal democracy here. I know that we, we operate from this assumption that that's the reality, but do you think that's actually true? I know it's not true. <laughs> I know I don't know for certain it's not true. Uh, I I don't remember who who it was from, but I've listened to your station a lot, and I've I've heard a couple uh, experts on that, and and polling I think shows close to a third of the population. I don't want to say they're anti-democratic, but they're not really pro-democratic. If you get a good authoritarian that they think is their authoritarian, they're fine with it, and. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, I'm an older guy now. I'm in my 60s, and I remember back in the, you know, in this in the late 60s, I was a real nerdy kid because I was already interested in politics at like seven, eight, nine, ten years old. But I remember, uh, you know, the the Catholic Church was, you know, democratic, and it's like, you know, we're going to help people out, pro immigration, that kind of thing. And now my Catholic friends don't fit in that category anymore. They're, you know, they're. They're the more ultra-conservative types. And and I, I look at that, and I, I don't understand that exactly. I don't know why that's happened. Um, so I'm more of, a I guess, a process person and an institution person. And I think those things keep us safe because you know what the rules are. And I think when you use the authoritarian philosophy or the uh, – uh, the philosophy, uh, you know, where we're a theocracy or something like that, the rules do seem to change a little bit. And that's scary to me. And, uh, you know, there's a there's a good Winston Churchill quote. I'll probably get it wrong, but it's like you can always uh, count on Americans to do what's right after they've tried everything else. And, and I'm hoping we're in the process of trying everything else and getting closer to doing what's right. And, and what Alaska's done with the limiting, I, I want ranked choice voting, if we can find some way to limit money. And, and I love the, the transparency. If somebody's going to make, if somebody gets a $5,000 or a $10,000 drop of money into their, uh, their account and it's from um, the Ku Klux Klan, that'd be nice to know. You know, I think that's relevant. Or, you know, some some good um, 
some good news person's going to dig deeper and say, wow, look where this money came from. I mean, we got, there's money traceable to foreign governments and every, everything else, you know, and, uh, and then we don't slap people's hands as good as we should when those things happen. Even with our loose rules right now, we don't slap people's hands badly enough when they, when they do that kind of thing. Yeah, when I've talked when I've talked about dark money with other people on the show before, it seems like we always kind of end up scratching our heads at the end of like, I don't know how you walk some of this back. Um, how do you incentivize the people who've created this system and who benefit from the system to benefit a little bit less from it on principle, right? So, I mean, do you think ranked choice voting has that potential to sort of reshape uh, what exactly uh, like a legislature looks like and how they might respond to money? Well, as far as the way a legislature looks, the the uh, studies of ranked choice voting shows that minorities are represented to a greater degree anywhere they use ranked choice voting. And uh, it it, uh, it allows people who have less money to, to get people's interests. So if you're the third or the fourth most interesting person, you might just say, I just can't do this. I can't walk around and knock on doors every day in 110 degree weather and, and about die for this and end up third or fourth. But if in a ranked choice system, uh, you can have several people of the same party walking around trying to do it. And if you're third or fourth, then, then you're in the game for the, you know, when you, you do the the uh, the general election. And then people will start saying, wow, that that person really is saying some interesting things. It takes the party effect out because uh, you might, you know, who are you going to run the ads against if you have two or three Republicans? You know, again, when I was arguing to the legislature, they should adopt this. I said, if, you know, you, you guys think the ones that were against it were, were hardcore Republicans. I said, if you think the Republicans are the best, you why not have this? We could have four Republicans running against each other at the end. You're going to get what you want. You know, you're going to have the if they if they truly represent the best ideas and the best way to govern, you're, they're going to rise to the top and we're going to have more Republicans to choose from. We don't have to do this binary choice anymore. So I hope I didn't. No, no, no. I think you bring up an interesting point, right? Which is the party system. What actually is the benefit of the party system is something I ask a lot. And it seems like it's easy to be polarized, to polarize uh, the populace, to have these sort of like, these are, like you said before, you know, in a typical race, here's the devil and here's the angel or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think that it, that tends to be <laughs> the the main argument is kind of when we go back to Ross Benish talking about it's all wrestling, which is we like a villain and we like a hero. Uh, not so much actually uh, the practical, like what are the plans? What's the agenda? So in if ranked choice voting takes out some of the sort of wedge issue politics or it forces infighting, I would imagine the parties themselves probably are not a huge fan of it. Uh, Again, if I'm operating from a more cynical perspective, it seems like you've got a, a rosier, rose-colored glasses sort of approach to some of this, which I get, and that's fine. But uh, in the sense of like a party wants to have a villain, they're not going to want that villain to be someone on their side. Uh, do parties in general push back against ranked choice voting because it takes away some of their, their cultural power? Yes, no doubt. And it, it's interesting because in different places, it's different parties. It is. It is. Whoever's in power doesn't like it because it does take away more of the power. Uh, as as far as your party thing, I think you're more right. When you talked about the the de-evolution of our democratic system, that's where it is really apparent. Uh, there's a, there's a great graphic out there, and I don't know who put it out, but they have a breakdown of. Uh, Congress and the people who came to the middle, you know, what portion of Congress is is considered kind of purple and that those are the people you have to win over to win legislation. And right now we're down to 20 some seats, I think, that are competitive. So uh, you want to satisfy your base, the far right or the far left. And when you're wanting to do that, you can't cooperate too much. And then I mean, when you look at this stuff, you say I've got rose-colored glasses, and I'm proud that you say that in a way, I guess. I'm a little Don Quixote-ish. Um, but uh, um, you do hear him say, uh, Mitch McConnell, I want to make sure that Obama is a one-term president. There's no policy there. I, our team has to win. Their team has to lose. Um, talking about some of the stuff in the For the People Act. Well, this is I've got, I've got some gun stuff in here and some, some voting stuff. 80% of the people in the United States support background checks for buying guns. Over 80% believe that in voting, there should be hard 
copies for ballots. Over 60% of the population believes birth control should be protected at all costs. 70% of the population believes that all dark money should be exposed and you should know uh, where it is. Uh, about 70% of the population thinks that there should be set national standards for doing redistricting. So we have, we have fair boundaries. Over 60% say that vote by mail is okay. Uh, over 60% say there should be multiple ways to vote, to register to vote. With the exception of the birth control and the gun stuff, all of that is in the For the People Act. I mean, that's a super majority of the population supports those positions. It's in that act and we can't pass it. You know, isn't that a little crazy when you think about it? Yeah, now your rose-colored glasses are coming off. I yeah, can tell. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, so, so that stuff bothers me, and and so uh, the burn pit thing. You know mm-hmm. that that if people are in tune, you know that's that's atrocious. You know they they pass legislation that helps veterans that are injured by the burn pit uh, contamination that they've been exposed to, and now they're dying of cancer and they have lifelong problems. And what was it? Eighty-five percent of the senators voted for it first time around. And then a whole bunch of them pulled back because they were upset because uh, I guess the Democrats had a win on the uh, the uh, legislation that, uh, you know, the energy legislation. They called it every what's, what's it called? It passed today, actually. Or Biden celebrated it today. But the, uh, yeah. uh, the, the that's the that's was that through the Inflation Reduction Act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And it's, it's got the energy aspect to it. It's, it's got the we're going to tax uh, corporations a little more, all those kinds of things. But that was when that passed, that's your payback. We're going to take off this burn pit stuff. These, these are the people that are for the veterans. You know what I mean? These are the people that we're going to go to battle for and we're going to give them what they want until, you, you know, until you do something to, to improve the the environment or, uh, you know, make big corporations pay taxes and then we're mad and we're going to pull back on what we did for the veterans. You know, that that's pure politics. You know, who are we ranking? You know, who, who's of those three? Who's most important there? It's not the people out there in the public. You know, in that case, it's probably the party. You know, these these things, I think if we can adopt a bunch of these things, those things can happen. And this upcoming election, I mean, we got to get people in there that that can say that the people are more important than the party or, or the big money people. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Wes Dodge about what reforming our election process through ranked choice voting might look like. What do you think? Would you be interested in changing the electoral process here in Nebraska? Join the conversation on social media or call in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089, which we may play in one of our upcoming shows. I wonder sometimes if a parliamentary system where we had five, six different parties that have to make a coalition would be any more uh, healthy, right? Would, would that be healthier? Because I like to think yes sometimes. And then, you know, like I'd point to, well, the UK, yeah, they're doing great. I don't know, maybe not, but uh, it doesn't seem necessarily worse. What do you make about a parliamentary system? I think a parliamentary system would be okay. I mean, we could have kind of gone there. I mean, this our two-party system has just kind of developed you know, it just happened. Uh, we could have had five, six, seven parties, but w- whatever party uh, seems to rise up or the, the two that rise up seem to have the most power. And because we don't use a ranked choice system, you can win without having a majority. So there's really, you know, uh, like Andrew Yang is starting this forward party now. That worries me a little bit. You know, I, there, th- without a ranked choice system, that's going to carve votes away. And if we had something that wasn't I guess with a ranked choice system, I feel like we have that, but every individual is their own party. There, there's another book out there again, and I'm terrible about the author, but the, the book is called Vexed. And uh, I wouldn't say it's a super book, but there was one philosophy in there. It was written by a, a guy from England who came to the United States and looked at our system. And he said, we have to bundle here in the United States. Like if you're uh, if you're a good hardcore Christian and, and you're uh, – you know, you're pro-life. Um, what party are you in if you're against the death penalty and against abortion? You know, what party does that put me in? You know, <laughs> I, I right. don't. There's not a real finite answer there because we're forced to bundle. So you know, uh, uh, I, I guess if I'm a Republican, I'm anti-abortion and pro-death penalty. I mean, that if we have a ranked choice system, maybe I can be both. You know, Ben Nelson. Uh, you know, really, uh, when he was in office, would would be pretty strong in his positions against abortion. But 
you know, he was a Democrat and he could still operate in that environment back then. So, you know, I, I think if we have a ranked choice system and we can get this money out of it, I think we'll get more of those purple dots instead of those red and blue dots. When we look at the, you know, the 435 uh, Congress people, we'll have more purple ones. And if we get it, it, that also gets rid of our redistricting problem in a way, too, because they redistrict nowadays to to give an advantage to the Democratic Party in a region or give an advantage to the Republican Party. If we're ranking votes again, it's kind of like what I told you, you know, that I said to the legislature, if if the Republicans are the best, that's all we're going to have to vote for, because those are going to be the four or five that come through and you'll be voting for them at the end. But redistricting won't matter that much because that, that you know, they'll be having to fight for that second and third place vote so they can get 50 plus one. I wonder, uh, in places that have implemented this, because I assume parties don't like to become more irrelevant, and really they don't like that probably because it hurts fundraising, mm -hmm. uh, are there retaliations? Uh, like if Nebraska were to do this, we'd probably see some people who don't like the development, uh, the status quo being shaken up. What, what, what would be a possible reaction to it? Uh, from talking to ranked choice people across the country, uh, whatever party doesn't want it in place does campaign against it and they do things like it's confusing and um you know it's it's really hard to come up with a lot of reasons to say you shouldn't do it but that's i, I mean that's my bias i guess but the confusing is the biggest argument they make you know that's that's kind of it honestly and then and then the people in power like here in nebraska they won't let it get to the floor of the legislature you know it's uh you get uh, you get your uh, I think there's nine people on the committee. You know you got to get five of them, and you only can get four of them. And you can't get that fifth one to to do it. And it's like you, you're you're uh, you know you're waving the flag and you're pro liberty and you're pro democracy, but darn you know you're pro capitalism, but you don't want that competition. You know where you don't you want to be able to still get elected with less than fifty percent of the overall vote. So it, it doesn't match up for me. Uh, but those are the people that push back and they just try they come up with it. They, they say it's too complicated. The ballot's too long. It could be too expensive, you know, that kind of thing, which is easy to defeat, because if we ever get to a point where we don't have the primary because we have ranked choice, you know, I, I don't know what it is for the whole state. But in Omaha, it costs half a million dollars for an election. You know, so if we don't have a primary for city council, you know, where you've got like four things to vote for and what, 20 or 30 percent of the people show up, we don't have to have that. We just have everybody that was in it anyway running in a ranked choice system. We save a half a million dollars. That's a good conservative value, isn't it? You know, well, again, this is where maybe the cynicism versus rose colored glasses. Yeah. How much of the pushback is coming from people who believe what they're saying is the pushback and how much has some kind of ulterior motive? Well, it's all ulterior motive, I think. Yeah. Yeah, but they just want, whoever's in power wants to stay in power and right. anything that's going to <laughs> challenge that power is going to get pushback. And under the democratic system, we're the ones supposed to be in power, right? From right. the people, by the people, for the people, you know? And so it's, the people have successfully pushed back in other places. So you have faith then that... Uh, this is something where power might lose. The people in power might not win this well, one. It depends on how you define power. If power is where it rests, you know, if it's with us, maybe power will win and we'll get ranked choice voting. But right now, the power rests in a lot of places with a minority that, that knows the rules and knows how to use them well to win and you know, we have a lot of people that, that aren't, like I said, as into it as we are, and we have to convince them it's important. And, uh, you know, I, I drive around this town as part of my job as an attorney, and the roads in South Omaha are not good, and the roads in part of North Omaha are not good, and they're better in the, the richer parts of town. And, you know, get out there and vote. It doesn't matter where you make it, you know, get an 80 percent voter turnout in South Omaha and see what happens to those roads. You know, I, I have a feeling they'll get better. Has turnout increased that much in places that have ranked choice voting? It, yeah, it has. I, I don't have any figures for you, but it, it has because the especially the people who feel like um, their vote doesn't count because they like, a, you know, the second or third or fourth choice. You know, they feel like I can go in there and I can make that vote. 
and, and feel good about it because I voted my, like I said, I voted my conscience. I voted who I really think is my guy or gal. And uh, and now I'll pick the second or third one. But uh, And sometimes that uh, that other one surprises people. You know, they hang in there and they get into that second or third round and and sometimes they, they win. Uh, and another thing uh, that a lot of people don't know is they seem to think this will give us some sort of really different results. 80% of the time, the person who has the most votes in the first round wins. But to me, it's more about, again, we were talking psychology earlier. It's more the psychology to me. And to me, the, the more important thing is the psychology of the person who gets elected, feeling like they have to be responsible for what they do to more than 50% of the people that are going to vote for them in the future. And I like that aspect of it. So as we wrap up here, for people who maybe are on the fence or curious, how can they learn more about ranked choice voting? We, we have a re- website, um, and it's uh, rankthevotenebraska.com. And uh, you can go there, and there's, uh, there's some videos, and uh, there's some exercises. We do a once-a-month, uh, we call it a statewide, where we have people um, can log on, and we, we have a speaker, and we talk about it a little bit. And then we have a little talk at the end. They can get educated that way. Uh, so that, that would be the best two ways. Are there any other things you want to plug? I know you're part of several causes before I let you go here. Uh, well, I'm part of Common Cause Nebraska, Rank the Vote, Omaha Represent Us, and then Nonpartisan Nebraska. And honestly, all of those things uh, focus on, you know, getting the power to the people and not to the parties. Um, Common Cause, I mean, just supporting them financially would be the best thing there. They're just really good at uh, coming up with what issues are uh, what we need to look at to have a better democracy. The represent us, we try to get people motivated to make calls to legislators to to uh, influence their vote in pro-democracy ways. And uh, nonpartisan Nebraska, there were some efforts uh, last uh, term where they were trying to, uh, you know, have us have the Democrat or Republican listed in the party race in the races again. And and it's kind of taken us away from our nonpartisan history, which is wonderful, and other people wish they had it. Just kind of keep your eyes open for what they're doing. They're a newer organization, but they're they're uh, they're kind of all, all of it's watchdog stuff. You know, let's keep track of what the legislature's doing. Sometimes they slip things through real fast. I don't know how much you talked about the convention of states, and I know we're probably about out of time, but I swear that went through in a week. You know, somebody made that their priority bill and boom, it was in. Yeah, obviously there's a lot of issues. There's a lot more we could talk about. But the time we had, I appreciate getting a sense of your mission, your worldview. And just thanks for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you. Riverside Chats is a production of KIOS 91.5 FM, Omaha Public Radio. The show is produced and edited by Courtney Bierman. Our original music is written and performed by The Real Zebos. Our artwork is done by Ben Matukowicz. Remember, you can find the backlog of all of these conversations wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe today, and please leave us a review. As always, thank you for listening. I'm Tom Noblock.